It's great to be here with you this morning, great to be worshiping with you, and uh, man, we're closing out a series, and uh, we're right before Easter here. We've been walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13, and we're talking about what does it mean to be satisfied? Not satisfied like the circumstances all went really well, what a great day, satisfied like no matter what's going on, I can rest in my God. I can take deep solace in who my God is and all that he's doing for me and all that he's pouring into me. And because of him, I can be satisfied. So in the train wrecks of life, in the struggles of life, in the heartaches of life, we can still be satisfied. Satisfied in the greatness of our God and all that he's doing for us. We have hope. And all of God's people said... And that's the story of 2 Corinthians 10 through 13 is may we grasp the hope we have in Jesus Christ in so many different facets and ways. And today we're looking at what does it mean to have Christ empowering me? What does it mean to literally be saved and seeing God doing a work in me? And Paul talks about several different facets of this Christ-empowered living. To be satisfied... To be truly satisfied in him, we're going to need to be able to experience the depth and the power of Jesus Christ moving in me, right? That's what it looks like. So do me a favor, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, as we now dive in and learn how to be living this Christ-empowered life. Uh, Point number one, do not falsely accuse. Do not falsely accuse. Also, when you are falsely accused, allow God to reveal through truth and time. Do not falsely accuse another person. And when you are falsely accused, make sure you allow God to reveal through truth and time. Being able to challenge, being able to be real about it, but also giving God some time to work in it. Truth and time is a huge method for dealing with what's going on in people's lives, right? And so Paul gets pretty clear on this. Here we go. He says, this is the third time I am coming to you. This is the third time we've actually heard him say it's going to be the third time, right? And uh, Paul's making it pretty clear, like, I'm just telling you, I'm coming to you again. I've been there a couple of times before, and I'm coming again and can't wait to see you. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What a weird sentence transition, isn't it? You're like, hey, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. There always has to be three witnesses before we can declare someone guilty. You're like, what in the world do those have to do with each other? And Paul's like, don't forget the context of what's been going on in chapters 11 and 12. And remember, there's been some false accusation against Paul and some pushing him away. And some guys who have come in who declare themselves to be super apostles. And they're like, all that they think. And they're trying to say Paul isn't. And in the midst of that, Paul's like, I'm coming, and we're going to do some addressing. And and so just so you know, it's not just going to be me who has a few things to say to you. We're only going to address things where there are two or three witnesses. Paul's like, we're going to make sure we've got clear what's happening. This comes right out of Deuteronomy 19.15, by the way. He's quoting Old Testament law, that someone can only be found guilty where there are two or three witnesses to it. We see it in our own courts of law in the United States, right? When when people are um, basically trying to be found guilty, a guy's trying to do something to find a guy guilty, one of the first things he does is get somebody up on the stand as a 
witness, giving some testimony, and we see the value of having others' viewpoints, and that's a very biblical position. Paul's like, just so you know, two or three witnesses, that's where we're going to be moving, all right? And uh, so as I come into town, know this, it's not just my thoughts and me just railroading what I want. Where there has been some experience of wrongdoing, we'll be addressing that. He says, I warned those who sinned before. I warned those. Paul's like, I literally spoke to you before about this. I said to you what would be coming. I warned you to those who sinned before, right? This means literally in the original language, it's got the word pro attached to it. It means beforehand you were doing the sin. Like back then you were sinning. You were walking through this beforehand in sin, and I brought to you a warning. Be careful, man. God doesn't work with it that way, and here's what needs to change. And, and he brought the warning. He says, I warned those who sinned before, and then he says, and all the others. Let that settle. Who are all the others? Well, this is everybody who wasn't sinning, right? I warned those who sinned before, then who's the all the others? It's the others who stood by and watched them sinning and had nothing to say, right? The ones who allowed the sin, Paul also had a warning for them. Dude, you do not allow this to go down in your church. Remember, this is the church at Corinth. There was some pretty bad stuff going down. We saw some of that in the book of 1 Corinthians. Whenever you walk through that, and there's so many different challenges in the book of 1 Corinthians there, and Paul's like, this sin can't go on, but also... You can't stand idly by and just let the sin go on in another person. And we all have responsibility. And uh, let's be super clear, that's not the American way at all, right? In America, it's sort of like, let everybody do their own thing, whatever that is. And Paul's like, that's not the biblical position. I'm warning those who are in sin, and I'm warning those who are walking alongside the ones in sin and just letting them do it without having anything to say. This needs to stop. He's taking sin pretty seriously, man. And, uh, he says, yeah, where there's a two or three witnesses, and I've already warned you once before, and I've warned even the ones who were just enabling. He says, and I warn them now while absent. He's like, this letter counts as warning number two. If you want to say it this way, he said, I warned you before when I was there. That's one, right? And then I wrote this letter, and this is a warning too, and that's two. All right. And some of you parents are like, that sounds eerily familiar <laughs> to my home, right? And... Uh, Look, I'll just say this. Paul, in this case, felt it very appropriate to bring several warnings before actually addressing the sin. Notice what he says yet next. And I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. He's like, I'm telling you, when I get to three, it isn't going to be good. That's what he's saying. And uh, so I'm just telling you, there are times where it's very appropriate, parents, to have a little bit of patience as you're dealing with your kids. That'd be an appropriate take on this, is there is a little bit of patience that needs to be had when we're dealing with sin. We're not just asking for perfection, but we are asking along the way for there to be patience. Please hear me, though. Patience does not mean ignore the sin. Everybody say, not that. Right? That's not grace. To be walking along and be like, oh, that was completely horrible. Oh, well, not going to say anything. 
let's just see if it doesn't train wreck. Like, that's a terrible plan. And being able to address it and say, "Uh uh-uh, and that does need to change, and that needs to change pretty quickly now. But a little bit of measured patience on it as well could be really smart. And you have to decide when and where and how much. And uh, my wife and I were pretty serious about the statements. When we would say, hey, we want this to happen in the home, then, then, then it had to happen. That's how it had to come down. And, uh, but there were times where we actually did say words like, that's one. But what we didn't mean is, I just love to count. And uh, I'm just chit-chatting right now. What we meant was, a little bit of patience right now. But I'm telling you, this is going to be dealt with if it keeps going on. That's exactly what Paul is saying here, right? And to make sure you're wise to that. Make sure you're making sense out of that. We're not driving for perfection. There is patience within it, but you are persistent in managing sin as well. There's a lot of P's in that, right? Not perfection, but patience and persistence in going after sin. And uh, may God get all the glory. And uh, he says, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He's like, look, the super apostles were continuing to challenge you that I really wasn't all that. And that maybe Jesus Christ isn't really working in me and his power isn't in me. And really, you're asking to see the power of Jesus Christ in me? Well, I'm just telling you, the third time I visit, if it ends up being a time where I see the sin continuing to go on and we have two or three witnesses, you're going to see the power of Jesus Christ unleashed as I say, that sin's done. Now it's over. And we're going to be dealing with it pretty firmly and directly. We're going to make sure they understand the sin will stop or you're going to need to distance. That's what's going to happen. Paul's getting pretty serious here. Man, I'm telling you, do not think that the church needs to be all about grace being defined as never ever talk about people's sin. That would be a grave misunderstanding of the call of the church and the role of Jesus Christ in our lives. Ready? And all of God's people said, right, we're all like, amen, as long as it's somebody else, right? Let's get real, man. We've got some sin to deal with in our lives, then let's deal with it. And, and uh, he's like, listen, the power of Jesus Christ will be speaking in me as I deal with that sin. And you want to see the power of Christ unleashed, see it as we take sin seriously. The holiness of Christ is essential to grasp. Yes, the love. Yes, the compassion. Yes, the humility. Yes, the sacrifice. And yes, the holiness. Jesus Christ He comes with power. And so now he talks a little bit about Christ. He says, uh, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. Jesus Christ, he moves on sin. He calls for healing. He looks for restoration. He longs for change in our lives. And he literally takes care of sin one soul at a time. Jesus Christ, he is powerful among you. It says now how? For he was crucified in weakness. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death on the cross. That's your God. He took on a humility and he took on a weakness and he took on a compassion, but he didn't stop there. It said he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. Man, you hear me? This is Palm Sunday. 
There may not be a better verse for us to be reading out on Palm Sunday. Next week, we will be celebrating that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, he came to the cross in weakness, and he struggled for us, and he died for us. We have hope. But more than that, he is risen. Amen? We serve the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He is God Almighty. He has died for us and he has risen for us. Do not miss it. Jesus Christ. Yes, he is humble. And yes, there is a weakness or a meekness in the midst of that. But there is power in Jesus Christ as he died for us and gives us victory over death. And as he rises again and gives us victory in life, may Jesus Christ give us hope. We can trust in him. He's like, hear me. You're seeing some meekness in me as I've been patient along the way. And I will be dealing with the sin. And that is so like Christ. He deals with, with us along the way with patience and power. It says he was crucified in weakness. He lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul's like, hear me, the gospel message isn't just that Jesus Christ did something with weakness and power, but it's that the church will live with weakness and power, with meekness and patience, and with absolute call out of sin. May God get all the glory. Man, we need to take sin seriously. We need to take our Savior seriously. May we not be all about self May we be all about him, and may God get all the glory. May we get real with our sin. That's what he's talking about here. Okay. You know, uh, I just wrote these words down. When you're going to confront someone when it comes to sin. We've talked about this in the back, past here with confrontation. We called it measured confrontation. And what's it look like? So I just wrote down... Uh, Five truths that are uh, standing true for measured confrontation. Five things that are true about measured confrontation. Biblical confrontation, if you will. When should I be addressing someone and what should it look like? Here we go. First step, gentle. Gentle. Galatians 6.1 talks about uh, gently coming alongside somebody else in their own sin. In fact, it warns that if you don't, that you might stumble yourself. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Galatians 6.1, gently, compassionately, tenderly. It's not, your sin makes me sick. And everybody say, not that. It's, I long for you to get this thing right. May God get all the glory and may you experience a joy as you see the victory. I long for that gentleness. Uh, number two, truthfulness. Truthful. And, uh, God works in the middle of truthfulness being shared. It's not lying about the cost. It's not ignoring the penalties. It's not trying to see it a different way just so they're happy. It's not wanting them to like you. It is what does God think of this sin? What does God think of this action or this thought? Truthful. Gentle. Truthful. Number three, humble humble. And uh, man, do not come in making it all about you. Make sure it is all about your God. Make sure it is about them growing and your God glorified and so nothing about you. 
humble. I'm telling you, if you come in prideful, this is probably the premier sin. When Galatians 6.1 says, come in gently and carefully when you're working with other sin, otherwise you might stumble, I think the primary sin of stumbling there is pride. Man, I'm all that. Boy, do I have my act together. I wish they could have their act together like I have my act together. And uh, that's the Galatians 6.1 stumble. And uh, be careful. Make sure that humility is at the center of your addressing of sin. And a gentle and truthful and humble. And number four, patient. Patient. We see Paul here saying, I've warned once, I've warned twice. If I come again, then. Right? Patient. Making sure that you're understanding the difference between immediate perfection and patience within sin, but grasping that God is calling them to a change. Patient. And then the last one, number five, for biblical confrontation is willing. Willing. See, when we see the word patient, we're like, oh, good. Then I never have to go challenge them. And then we'll call it patience. We're like, hey, man, did you see what just went down? And you're like, yeah. You going to say anything? No, I'm being patient. <laughs> right? But the reality is we're like, I don't ever want to talk about it. I don't like confronting. I don't want to have to deal with it. I'm not willing to ever stand in the gap. The difference between patience and willingness is one is seeing the value in the other person's soul, and the other is seeing the value in my own soul. When I'm unwilling, I'm longing for you to just like me, right? But patience is longing for the best for them. And there is a time where being truthful and real and stepping in is super important, gentle and truthful and humble and patient and willing. And that is measured confrontation, being wise along the way, okay? Right. So, uh, nice weather we're having, huh? <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? I mean, my parents were in town on Friday, and uh, we had Mac and Megan over to the house, and uh, my oldest daughter, who just got married recently, and so they were over at the house. We had dinner, and my dad was actually talking, and he's like, yeah, we got to get out of here pretty soon because of the weather. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, yeah, it's rolling in huge. They're saying five or more inches and possible ice. And I'm like, you're kidding. I never even checked. I thought it was the end of March. We'd be okay, right? I didn't even look at it. And, and uh, it started rolling in. They took off and they ended up getting home safely. But it was just a little bit after that, we started getting a little bit of the rain junk stuff coming down. And then by a little after midnight, yes, I was up then. By a little after midnight, we started having snow falling. And, and uh, man, I'm telling you. These March Madness games are keeping me up late. I don't know about you guys. But uh, so I was watching some of the games and ended up seeing some of the snow coming down. And then I looked at the weather and they're like, yeah, it's going to keep coming down for quite a while, like until 7, 8 o'clock the next night. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go out and shovel twice. That would be a waste of time. So I'll wait until it's all done. And so the goal was to wait until it's done. I didn't feel all that hot, but I uh, waited until last night after the first March Madness game. And I looked at my wife and I'm like, oh. I think I need to go out and get that snow up before it freezes because it's supposed to get pretty cold tonight. So I had seen the wind that afternoon. I don't know if you saw what it looked like with like snow flying this way, right? And I'm like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting dressed up. So I put on some big heavy coveralls. I put on a hat. I put on this face mask thing. I had gloves and I go out there like, you know, kind of like a dressed up snowman thing. And I get my snow thrower out, and I get out there in the driveway, and there isn't any wind at all. And, and now I'm like, 
I'm comfortable and I'm going down the driveway and the snow is throwing and I'm getting stuff accomplished and I'm going back up and back down again and back up and now I'm starting to sweat, you know? And then I'm pulling it down off to the sides and, and I keep going, I get it all done and I come inside and I lost like nine pounds, it was awesome. And uh, I'm like, I gotta take a shower. I went in and I took a shower and uh, came out to watch the second half of the second game. And as I'm sitting there continuing to still sweat, my body's like, that was work, right? And the reality is when we see it colder, we put on heavier amounts of clothes, right? And if we put on too heavy an amount of clothes, we end up getting hot, right? And I'm just telling you, we use clothes to manage the cold. And just so you know, biblically, patience is used to manage sin. Did you know that? Clothe yourself with patience to manage sin. And I'm just telling you, it is super important that when it gets colder, we put on a coat. And it's super important that when we're addressing sin and sin is in this world, that we are dealing with it through patience. And uh, man, I'm telling you, patience is God's divine expression into a sinful world. And hear me on this one. If God wasn't patient, we'd be gone. You get that? Like any single sin of selfishness and self-absorption is like, done! I demand perfection. You're gone. But God is patient. And the divine expression of patience into this world is the clothing that helps him manage the sin. And uh, super important that we grasp that in the midst. And uh, I just wrote this phrase down. Uh, patience, it's only needed where there is sin. Let that settle for a moment. Patience will not be needed in heaven. Think about that. Everybody's perfect. That'll be nice, huh? Whatever line you may have to stand in, it just moves super fast and efficient. Right? Whenever you're talking to someone, they really know all the social cues. They're kind of normal. Like you can get along and chat together, and there's no moment where you're like, what in the world were they just doing? And that doesn't happen. Heaven, absolute perfection across the board. Patience is something needed as a divine expression into this world, into this sinfulness, into this brokenness. Patience is the clothing that God puts on to manage the sinfulness of this world. And all of God's people said, and that is a huge deal that we grasp. So I just wrote, patience is a divine action into a decidedly sinful world. Question, how are you clothed for the sinfulness in this world? How are you clothed for the sinfulness within your home? Do you have patience? Are you ready to deal with the sin around you? Please note this too. Too many clothes can make it really a bad plan as well. Be careful about non-stop patience and never actually getting to addressing it. That's not a good plan either. Making sure that God's plan is being measured into that soul, that they are getting what is sin and they are moving with their king and you are willing to call that out. Measured confrontation. So simple question, is there somebody you're supposed to be talking to that God's pressing in on your soul? Is there somebody where you know you need to talk to them, they're doing something or saying something that is hurting them and their walk with God? 
Or maybe somebody saying something to you. And it's time for you to listen. It's time for the selfishness to be set down. And it's time for the sin to be done. May God be glorified. Okay? That's point number one. Point number two. Examine yourself prayerfully to see if you are saved. Examine yourself prayerfully to see if you are saved. And uh, he starts out here. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Everybody say that means saved. Right? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Okay? He's literally saying, take a check. Take an inventory. See if you can see yourself saved. He's like, look at the fruit, man. What are you seeing? Okay? Saved. We end up declaring something that it means that we think or something that it means that we try to embrace, but we don't talk about the fruit that should be coming from it, and we might miss the point. That's what he's saying. He's saying examine yourself and test yourself. Make sure that you are properly evaluating whether you are trusting in your king and saved. Okay? What does it mean to be saved? Well, saved, we've talked about it. It means, A, that you admit that you are a sinner in need of a savior. You admit you are not perfect and far from it. You admit sin is in your life. You do things wrong. B, you believe. You believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You believe that there is power in Jesus Christ. And C, you confess him as Lord. You're in charge. That's scripture, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that we admit we're sinners, that we believe he's risen from the dead, that we confess him as Lord. So how would we examine, how would we test? Ready? Well, you might ask yourself, am I confessing sin and apologizing to God? Am I getting things right? Man, when's the last time you got things square with God? If you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I really do that ever. That's not a good moment. I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I come to my God, and confession is a part of that, okay? Come to your God with, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I know this is wrong. Lord, I'm handing this to you. First question for yourself if you're examining is, am I confessing and apologizing to my God? Am I getting my sins square with him? All right, number two. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? That there is power in him? That there is life in him? Does next week matter to you? Is Easter a monster celebration because there is power on display in Jesus Christ? I believe he is risen from the dead. I'm counting on him to be the one true God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you there? But it's not just that. It's also confessing him as Lord, which is a little bit of the confessing sin that we just talked about, and now also this. Do you know what God wants, and are you obeying it? Confessing him as Lord. Do you know what God wants, and are you obeying it? Super important that we get that square. Now remember, God's not demanding perfection. He understands we are sinners being saved by grace, right? So it's not, I get everything right every single time, all the time. It's not that. But it is understanding that along the way, there must be repentance. Man, if you are in a prolonged period of unrepentance, 
If you are in a willful disobedience over an extended period of time, that is not a good sign. Examine yourselves and test yourselves. Lord God, I'm handing my life to you. And Lord, I know there's times where I am thick-headed and I miss it. Thank you for your patience. Please forgive me. Man, if you are sitting here today and you've walked in this morning and you're like, I am standing in willful disobedience and I won't get it clean, here's my request. And right here, right now, Lord, I'm done fighting. You're in charge. Please take over. I confess this is wrong. I confess you're in charge. Please forgive me. I'm done. Make sure your God rules in your life, right? Confess him as Lord. The operative words, prolonged, willful disobedience. Prolonged unrepentance. Man, if you're sitting in that spot, that would not pass the test. Simply put, if you're sitting in a spot where selfishness is the key way you live life, it is time to come to put Savior in charge of your life, not you. Time to say, God, I'm willing for you to lead. What do you want done? That's passing the test. Not perfection, because our God is patient, but absolutely willing confession and repentance that God might get all the glory. That's what we're going after. Ready? And all of God's people said, it's a good place for an amen, right? Thank God that he is absolutely forgiving along the way. He says, test yourselves. Man, may we look for fruit, obedience, along with confession where we've missed it. That's the fruit. Obedience, along with confession, apology, and repentance. That's the fruit. He says, man, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he's like, man, you're saved. You trust in Christ. Hear me. That means Jesus Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit working in your soul, you transformed, and God doing a work, you literally becoming the temple of the living God. He's like, don't you realize if Christ is in you, then Christ is going to be expressed through you. That's what we're talking about. Jesus Christ doing a work that will affect your soul, that will spill onto your hands and onto your lips. Don't you realize that you have Jesus Christ in you, and then he says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test, only those who are saved and trust in Jesus Christ have him residing within doing a work. Man, do you admit that you are a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? Are you willing to put him in charge, confess him as Lord, begin in obedience, and a confession, an apology, and a repentance where wrong? May God be in charge. And if you have not done that before, lock it in right now. I mean right now. Like in this moment saying, God, I'm handing my life to you. It's done. No longer me. No longer my sin. Maybe you're in this room this morning. And you know you've been hurting someone with your words. And it's continued for a long period of time. Maybe you know that you've been doing something deeply wrong and you've been keeping it a secret, you long for no one to find out. 
Maybe you've been cheating on your spouse and it's time to be done. Man, stop toying with sin. Please hear me. We serve the risen Savior. He gives us hope of conquering sin. You can experience a victory over that sin and a satisfaction in your Savior like none other. Believe in him and confess him as Lord. Trust in him right now, just telling him, I'm in, God. I believe you're alive and risen from the dead, and I'm putting you in charge. Please take over. And that's saved. He's like, don't you realize that if that's true, then Jesus Christ is in you. He says, I hope you will find that out about uh, that we have not failed the test. He's like, and as you look at our fruit, I hope you're going to see that we're following Jesus Christ. Right? We're being true to it, and where we're wrong, we're confessing. And he says, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. He's like, our longing is for you to stay right with your God. No matter what you see in us, may you obey your king. He says, not that we may appear. Everybody say appear. Super important word. Not that we may appear to have met the test. The goal is not managing appearances. And all of God's people said, the goal is a true change of soul. And he's like, look, man, really not interested in what it makes us look like. Longing for you to get your act together with God because of how it's going to affect you. In fact, he says right after it, not that we may appear, appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Like, if you're looking at us and you're like, I don't see you measuring up, that doesn't give you justification to veer off left. That doesn't mean losing it now. No longer listening to your God. Man, no matter what we look like, may you stand with your king. Please, hang with him. Serve him. Worship him. Confess sin when it needs to go. May God get all the glory. He's like, let's get it real. He says, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. I love that phrase. Your restoration is what we pray for. The power and the passion of the pastor. Your restoration to your God. You on fire. This church lifting up Jesus Christ. Him glorified. It is so not about the guy. It is so about Jesus Christ. And it is so about you glorifying him as you walk with him. May you celebrate your king. And Paul's like, I long for the church in Corinth to be on fire, restored. He says, for this reason, I write these things while I am away from you. That when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up. I don't want to have to be severe with the use of authority that the Lord has given me for building up. Super important that we grasp, grasp this. The purpose of the authority is that the Lord has given it for building up. The purpose of authority is not just to make the guy feel good. The purpose of authority is not to make it all about himself. The purpose of authority is for the building up of the church. And if authority is used for other means... To get for self. If authority is used to control and manipulate, man, that is grievous sin before God. Hear me, the authority given to the church, the authority given to a pastor, to elders, the authority handed out is for the building up of the church. 
for a mutual edification, for you to be celebrating your God, for sin to be set down, and for God to be getting the glory. That's the purpose of the church. May God be lifted up. Man, are you willing to be built up? Are you willing to set down sin? Are you willing to confess that Jesus Christ may get all the glory. He says that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Any authority in any church that uses to tear the person down is in sin. I'm just saying bluntly and directly, authority can be misused as manipulation to get what you want so your name can get in lights and that is wrong. The church needs to be about the longing for you to be celebrating your God. So simple question, how are you doing in being able to go after your king and worship him? I just wrote this down. Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson uh, talked about a woman named Sheila. And uh, he said as he talked with her, Sheila had some things to say about life. Sheila spoke about this world. And she was like, I'm just telling you, this world is hard. And I've been through a lot of struggles. And I appreciate my faith. My faith has gotten me through so much. My faith has been very strong in my life. And Chuck said, well, tell me a little bit about your faith. And as she talked a little bit about where she came from, and what she believed in, the reality is she said, look, I don't, I don't go to church. I never have. And I don't really care what the Bible has to say. I kind of listen to that voice within me. And that voice within me moves me. And that voice has been true for me and has done well for me. I guess I call it Sheilaism. Okay? And, uh, man, here's the sad part is she believes that calling that faith is the same as what means faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in him to cover our sin and to be our savior. And that is not the same. To have this little voice within that you listen to all the time, by the way, another term for that is just selfishness, just so we're clear, right? I'm just going to do what I want. Okay, this little voice within, the me-ism of the world. And I'm just going to stand up and do what I want. And I don't care what it does to you. And I don't care what it does to those around me. And I don't care what it does to my God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Me-ism. I'm going to be true to myself. Have you heard that phrase before? Ooh, that one almost makes me throw up right there on the spot. All right? (laughs) True to myself. You've got to be kidding me, man. True to our Savior, Jesus Christ. True to the one who chose to die for me. True to the one who chose to be risen from the dead, life on fire, hope for eternity, my God. He gets my attention. Down with me, up with him. Amen, man. Huge deal. May we grasp this. Meism does not get it done. How are you doing with your worship of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? How are you doing with your faith in the one who has died and has risen? 
How are you doing it? Admitting you are a sinner, confessing that sin, believing that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and allowing him to lead in your life. Not doing what your heart says to do, but doing what your God says, being obedient to him. Not with perfection as the measure. There's patience in the process, but with absolute repentance of sin. May God get all the glory. How are you doing? Man, please take an inventory today. If you need to be locking it in, lock it in right now. Dear God, I'm ready to hand my life to you. I'm done fighting. May you get all the glory. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross to replace what I owe. You are my king. Dude, that's saved. And that only is saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not a way, a truth, and a life. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ. All right. Number three. Aim for restoration and peace with those around you. Aim for restoration and peace with those around you. He says, now, finally, brothers, rejoice. Now, hopefully you feel the gear shift that I felt there, right? Where he's like, let's talk about sin. And if I come a third time, and we're going to have to do some dealing here, and maybe God is at work in you, he should be if you're saved. Do a little bit of measuring and testing, and let's see if God is actually at work. Are you obeying? Are you confessing? Are you repenting? Or is there just this prolonged selfishness going on in your life? Are you willing to have God take over? And All right, let's rejoice. Right? And, and he's like, I'm just telling you, here's the thing. It feels weird for us to actually put the word rejoice after that, but that should be our daily walk with Jesus Christ. Is Lord God, help me get my sin clear with you, and Lord God, help me clear this up, and Lord God, please forgive me for, and I'm telling you, if it's not throughout the day, regular daily repentance, I'm telling you, you're beginning to live in self-world again. Make sure that each and every day is a, God, I long for you to be in charge, and then I'm telling you, this next step won't seem as big a leap. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Our sin is covered. We have hope. Finally, brothers, rejoice. It isn't in us. It's in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he is our hope. And all of God's people said, that's what he's talking about, man. May your daily walk be a satisfying walk as you rejoice in the salvation you have in Christ. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration and comfort one another. Man, let's get along. Let's make sure we're spending time hearing each other and caring for each other and bringing together hurt relationships and getting them restored. Comforting one another, he says. Agree with one another and live in peace. Come to a point where you agree. Please hear me. This does not mean pretend to agree with one another. Everybody say, not that. It's not fake. This is like, let's actually lift up God's word is what matters. And now as we both beat to that drum, we will agree. This is, may God's word be center stage and may Jesus Christ get all the glory. And as we now agree with Christ, 
we will agree with each other, live at peace with one another. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Hear me. The palpable presence of the Almighty God in your life. Empowered Christian living. It is not about fake it and make it. It is not about perfection on the outside, but we know we're a train wreck inside. It is, Lord God, I'm handing this over to you. I'm done with this willful disobedience. May you please heal me and forgive me. I'm looking for you to do the work. Ready? One degree of glory at a time. One degree of glory at a time. Dude, that's patience from your God who loves you with all he's got. He loves you. He says here, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, there are some churches that will kiss one cheek at a time. There are some uh, churches that will kiss you square on the lips. You're like, please tell me which church that is. (laughs) There are. And And that's greeting with a holy kiss. And I'm just telling you, there's nothing that ties greet one another with a holy kiss to a theological moment other than fellowship. It's probably more tied culturally. And the reality is there was the kiss on each cheek or the kiss on the lip to, to welcome them and to say, you are family, right? And, and so you could read this as greet one another with a holy fist bump. <laughs> greet one another with the holy bro hug, right? Greet one another with the distant hello because I don't like touching people, right? There's a few of you in here, you know it, and you're like, thank you for saying that. And uh, I'm just saying, man, culturally and socially, this is I am welcoming you as family. You are fam, and you matter. And this is important to say hello with a holy welcoming. You are fam because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life and what he's done in mine. We are brothers and sisters on our way to eternity. May we celebrate the here and now because of the there and then. May God get all the glory. Huge deal. And uh, he says, all the saints greet you. He's like, shout out from the churches I'm with here. Make sure you know we're all together. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let those words settle. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say grace. And the love of God. Everybody say love. And the fellowship of of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say fellowship. And now let's put it together, all three. Grace and love and fellowship. Satisfied. That is satisfied. As we drink deep of the greatness of our God. And we have a patience from God that comes through Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. And we have this grace delivered up to us. We have a love from God the Father as he pours it in, sending Christ his Son and caring for us. And daily caring for us. And we have a fellowship from the Holy Spirit as he convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. As his glory transforms us one degree of glory at a time. Please hear me, 2 Corinthians 3 says, And you are transformed one degree of glory at a time, not by you muscling it, but by God's glory pouring into you. You worship him and he changes you. 
You're cooperating along the way. You're repenting of sin. You're walking along confessing. And God is doing a healing work. I'm telling you, satisfied. Satisfied. No matter what God rolls your way, no matter what he decides to allow, I'm telling you this. When you see God working in you, satisfied. When you see him doing a healing work that will last for all eternity, satisfied. When you have a fellowship and an experienced love and the greatness of his grace, satisfied. No matter what the experience is, no matter what the loss is, the greatness of your God and his palpable presence will be stunning. Please live in the empowered living of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling us to. 